Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 52. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. I'm recording today from Austin, Texas. Alyssa and I just got back from our week in Colorado on vacation out of the RV. It was awesome. But when we got back, we had uh, some electrical issues in our Brave. It was actually, I think it was the campground's fault, but we plugged into a 50-amp. It blew part of the breaker, and now our hose has a little niche in the uh, brass part where it plugs into the electricity box. And this was kind of the, it'll still work, but it was kind of the last thing on a long line of minor fixes that we want to get for our RV. So we're actually heading out tomorrow on a sporadic trip up to Forest City, Iowa, where Winnebago is, to get our RV fixed. I don't really talk about a lot of logistical RV things, but it's just like owning a house. You have constant issues that you have to fix. And because the RV industry is lagging in many areas, it's much easier for us actually to jump on the road for 16 hours to head up to Forest City, Iowa, than it is to go to the place where we bought the RV because they have months and months of wait time and almost all RV dealerships do. So if you own an RV, you know this issue and rant over. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Ian Horgan from Wayfair Vans. Wayfair Vans makes plug and play camper kits for specific kinds of sprinter vans. Ian left his job a year ago at RVC Hospitality, who owns 10 campgrounds across the country to start Wayfair Vans. And in his first seven months of making these camper kits, Ian has made six figures in revenue. A few things that we talk about on this episode is how Ian came up with the modular design of his camper kit, so how he actually put those together and how he plans to expand his product line in the future, how to use your RV or van to connect with the potential customers for your business, and how to use creative advertising to start conversations and promote your business while on the road. Before jumping into the interview today with Ian, where we talk about how he built up Wayfair Vans while working a nine-to-five job, I want to talk about a few times in my life where I've been having a full-time job or a full-time client and building something on the side and what I've learned from those moments because this is kind of that awkward phase where you're trying to get something going up on the side but you you still have to pay the bills and, and make money and I think this is really interesting because everyone handles this in a different way but I think there's just a lot of learning opportunity that comes in these moments so I want to share three specific periods in my life where I've been hustling to get something going on the side and some of the stupid things that I've done along the way and just what I've learned. The first of these moments came when I got my first internship in college. I got hired by a guy named John, and it was to go basically apprentice under him. He was an entrepreneur. He owned, I think, five or six different companies that were all rolled into one. I still really don't understand how it worked. But there were probably 40 to 50 employees working in the same, in the same building. I had to wear uh, not a suit and tie, but a tie every single day. I worked in the front. It was the typical intern. I was I was literally making coffee and copies, and it was kind of a miserable work environment. I wanted to go work there because I wanted to imprint, apprentice under a successful CEO, and that's why I went. And it turns out I just I wasn't learning anything, and I'm all for doing the hard work and and grinding it out. But I felt like I was at the bottom of the wrong ladder. And so when I got my first paycheck of $800, I up and quit. 
I didn't tell anybody. It was a super jerk thing to do. I called my parents and told them that I was dropping out of college because I'd been working on a side hustle t-shirt company. And I told them I was going to be successful and it didn't matter if I had this internship or a job. And I was going to stay with my friend in California. And yes, I realized how stupid all of the sounds and how big of a jerk face I was. And I learned a few really valuable lessons in this period of time. Uh, before we get to those, I just want to explain what I was feeling in this moment. <laughs> uh, as dramatic as it sounds, I felt like the longer that I stayed in this job, the more I was wasting little parts of my life that I would never get back. Again, in the moment, probably a little bit too dramatic, but what I felt was if I stayed content in this position that I knew wasn't pushing me and wasn't uh, causing me to grow, then maybe I may make this decision in other parts of my my life. I would always settle. I guess I was worried that I would always settle. And so the three things that I learned in this opportunity when I up and quit my job, ran off to California, uh, caused my mom to not talk to me for a month was the first thing I learned was I was incredibly self-entitled and didn't really think about how my actions affected other people. I didn't think about how my actions affected my parents, um, this guy, John, who had given me this job, and even my coworkers who I just up and left. And I felt terrible about that. And it's still one of those things to this day that I'm slightly ashamed of. It was just stupid. I was just, I was being an idiot. Uh, the second thing it taught me was to make a better exit and how that mattered to not burn bridges. And so if I was in a period, if I was in another job and I wanted to quit to not do it in this way, that would be disrespectful. Give people freaking two weeks, you know, not be a jerk about it. The third thing that I learned was that if I crashed and burned, I'd be okay. And what I mean by that is I went out to California and I only had 800 bucks and that's probably the most, the biggest paycheck I had ever gotten which is kind of sad, but it was just true. It was the period of life that I was in. And I went out there and I spent it all. I applied for one job at Skechers. I didn't get it. And I had to come back home with my tail between my legs. Um, my family, my parents finally talked to me. Uh, my mom, even though she was upset at me, I agreed to go back for my last year of college. And I met Alyssa and we got married. And that's kind of the end of that story. But I, I realized in that moment that even though I did something really stupid, I'd crash and burned, I'd quit this job uh, for this guaranteed income for my summer internship, that eventually it, it wasn't the end of the world. And again, I know that I have a support system and I have family, but I, I guess what I just learned was that it's okay to take risks uh, as long as you learn from them. The second time that I was working a full-time job and I was leaving to go work on something new was when I was working at You Earned It. I know I've talked about that a lot. It's a software company that I was working on out of college. And I quit that to go and pursue a year-long road trip in an RV with Alyssa. And I, what I learned from quitting that job to go was, first of all, before I ever left, I felt a little bit more confidence that no matter what happened, we would be okay. I had done this crazy trip out to California working on this internship, and I felt looking back on that, well, if I was okay after that, then maybe we can go pursue this year of travel around the country in an RV. So the first thing that I learned from this experience leaving this job was, I didn't want to make the same mistake twice, and I gave a little bit too much of head's notice. So instead of leaving and telling my boss the same day that I'm quitting, I gave three months head notice because I wanted to make sure that they had time to transition somebody else in my position, and I didn't want anybody to be mad at me. I liked my coworkers. I liked my boss, and I just wanted to be on good terms with everybody. And so they actually found somebody just a few weeks later, and I had to leave my job a little bit earlier without as much money as we thought we were going to get before we left, which was insanely scary. I still remember leaving and calling Alyssa, and I had to tell her that I lost my job a little bit before I guess you could call it kind of mutual because I told them I was going to quit and they found somebody. Anyway, the point is 
I gave a little bit too much <laughs> heads up. The second thing I learned was that in order to get people's vote of confidence whenever you're pitching a venture or anything like that, it's hard to undervalue going all in. And what I mean by this is the week after I left my job, I ended up getting in touch with Snagajob, the company who sponsored our first year road trip around the country, uh, sent us some film equipment to learn how to shoot video and do basic video production, and eventually turn into a client-based business. None of that, I think, would have happened if I hadn't actually left my job because I was able to jump on a plane in the middle of the week, go up and meet their team, pitch them, tell them that I was all in on this project. And they knew it. And I think because I exuded that amount of confidence that they had confidence in me that we were going to travel to all 50 states, that I was going to be able to find a job in each state and finish this project. And we did. And um, I think about that and how it applies to what I'm doing now with Campground Booking and a lot of other ventures and projects that we've had in the past where I think it's just hard to get people's vote of confidence if, you know, if you're not all in or if I'm not all in, whatever. The third thing I learned when leaving you earned it was that there are only a few moments in our lives where we can afford to take these kind of risks. And it's probably very easy to pass them up. There are only so many moments when we don't have kids and we don't have a ton of other responsibilities and that if we do crash and burn, we will be okay. And this was one of those moments where I just felt in my gut that uh, it was the right time, if there ever was a right time. When is there a right time to quit your job with little savings and go travel the country in an RV? Probably not that many good times for that, uh, which is why the majority of people don't do it. But I think there are some times where it's a little bit less crazy, where it's maybe forgivable, forgivable, or there's time to still bounce back. And so looking back on that period of time, that was another thing that I learned. In the last time, uh, the most recent time that I left a guaranteed opportunity for quote unquote the next gig was after Hourly America, I was I spent six months working on a book launch project with Jia Zhang, who is an author and a TED speaker, and we traveled all over the country together. And he was the guy who actually gave me the idea to go work a job in each state. And he hired me to help him launch his book, Rejection Proof. You should check it out. I'll link it up in the show notes. And we executed a great book tour. We went to Google. We went to Yale. We went to Stanford, all these great places all over the country, spoke about rejection. I learned a lot about launching a book. Uh, it was my first video course project that I shot with him and just setting up speaking gigs. So the whole process was amazing. And I love Jai. He's been a great mentor for me. But I knew after that six months, I didn't want to spend working 40 hours a week for one person. It was he was technically a client project with the key deliverables, but it was really just a full-time job, even though I was 100% remote. And so we wanted to transition to working with multiple clients. And so what I learned in that transition was, one, the more clients you have and the better you are at your craft, the more you can charge for less time. For Jaw, I was doing a, a multitude of various video, photo, social media, email marketing stuff, just the whole gamut where as in if once we started bringing on multiple clients i ended up being able to charge a lot more for those projects and spending less time with each client and i think that's just true it's it's pretty self-explanatory if you've ever done client work but it's something i didn't know until i got into it the second thing i learned with jaw was it doesn't really become that much easier to walk away from guaranteed opportunities for uncertain ones but there is a certain level of confidence that com that comes from that i Alyssa, i can't even remember how many conversations I went back and forth with Alyssa. I know I annoyed the mess out of her because I talked about not wanting to continue working with Ja, even though I liked him, but I just wanted to go out and do our own thing. And so I know by the time I finally uh, decided to quit, it was just one of those times where she just said, screw it, 
you want to do that you want to go do your own thing like let's do our own thing and go all in i'm just sick of you talking about it so it doesn't necessarily become easier to leave guaranteed opportunities but there is confidence that comes whenever i've been able to do it multiple times and still be okay each time and the last thing that i learned uh, from leaving was saying no to guaranteed income to pursue the next thing has a way of lighting a fire under my butt i have to make it work or i'm screwed uh and so I know it doesn't work for everyone, but in my particular instances, putting my back up against the wall to go out and go all in for the next thing, whatever I'm pursuing in any given period of time, uh, whether it be expanding our client production business, which is what we were doing at that time, or even our next thing, which is uh, working on building up campground booking and getting momentum with that. There's something about going all in for me and putting my back up against the wall, creating that inciting incident where I have to make it work just lights a fire and it's it's helped us so much and i think one of the most difficult things uh in general has just been leaving that comfortable position to chase after that next thing and i know i'm lucky because i'm young i have a support system if i fail i'm not stupid about that i i don't have kids and uh which which mean i can risk a bit more though i do have to support Alyssa myself however even though i have several of those things in my favor it's still been hard to leave a for sure thing for something so uncertain And with each of these transitions to the next thing, I found ways to improve and increase my chances of being successful. So, and I hope that some of those uh, takeaways that I had can be applied to you guys and whatever situation that you're in. And I got some good feedback from people at the RB Entrepreneur Summit that they said they liked my, my candid opening up about various aspects and updates on our business. And so I want to be doing more uh, little bits of commentary and key learnings and things like that at the beginning of the podcast. And thank you guys for listening. Let's get into today's show with Ian Horgan, where you can hear about his transition from his full-time job into building Wayfair van kits. What's up, Ian? How's it going, Heath? Pretty good, man. Did you sleep well in the uh, the van last night? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're uh, driving, um, actually driving a a person who they bought a van in Colorado Springs and caught wind that I had some family, like a wedding that I have to go to in Reno, and he said, "Hey, why don't we? Why don't I just buy a van from Colorado Springs and you put a kid in it and then just drive it across the country?" <laughs> and I said. You know, I'll do it under one condition as long as I can sleep in it, you know, save some money on hotel rooms and stuff. And he goes, that would be that would be great. It'd be awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what we're doing. I'm just kind of documenting the whole trip, uh, doing um, putting together just these little micro adventures. And this will be one of them. So, yeah, man, it's uh, it's going pretty good. That's awesome. I think you should add a like a price level to the camper kits that you'll deliver it. And you kind of, you know, break it in on its inaugural road trip because then you have built-in adventures in the sales process, right? And then you get to go on the road and... Yeah, you know what? I was actually thinking about that last night uh, as I was driving. I'm like, you know, it'd be really... these If these folks, you know, they want a camper van, I could... I have a dealer in Colorado Springs that I'm working with and um, it's like... Yeah, you buy you buy the van from the dealer, and then you know I'll throw the kit in, and then camp along the way and drop it off to you. You know, for like an additional thousand dollars or something, I have to I would have to pay for a plane ticket on my way home. But yeah, put together, it'd be a great way to see the country, and just I I I would love. I'm really looking forward to just handing the keys off to this uh, um, 
His name's Carnett, and he lives in Sausalito, California. And I'm just gonna drive it up to his driveway and hand him the keys, and and he's already really just stoked about it. That's awesome. And I mean, we we talked a little bit before today, and I know that van life is insanely popular on Instagram and and other. I mean, I say on Instagram, that's where it's kind of lived out. I think where you can see it the most, but really, it's just popular in general, as is this lifestyle. And I was, we were talking because I interviewed Russ Garfin from Winnebago who runs their class B and class C motorhome division. So he's the Travado, the view, all that stuff is, is kind of his babies that he's helped push out with Winnebago. And we had a Q and a session at the RVE summit. And basically what came out of that was so many people from the audience wanted more modular stuff in their RVs. That's a my very technical term for it, modular stuff. Basically, <laughs> uh, the way Russ described it, and he's kind of been, I think, seeing this in other areas of the van community and RVing in general, is that his kind of comparison was that for the longest time, people kind of hacked together IKEA furniture furniture you buy it you know there's all these articles and youtube videos on you know hacking together ikea furniture for stand-up desk or whatever and so instead of ikea kind of running away from that they've kind of started leaning more into it and are making their furniture more hackable and how rvs could take notes from that and here you are basically you've created this kit and i mean i'll let you explain it because you'll do a better job than me but basically it can you know plug and play you can install it in a, in a van in an afternoon and then you've got your bed you've got your desk and everything else that you really need right yeah and you know so i guess i didn't really start off thinking that you know it has to be modular meaning uh it has to the van can evolve into all these sort of different like this little transformer on the inside you can kind of create the the space on the inside how you want it really i made it so that it could all just be deliverable and installed and then you know it being modular kind of was unintended consequence of that and uh so yeah what really and i'll i'll correct you like the intro it's for a a ram pro master city and however we are looking to expand maybe into like the mercedes metris so, so right now the kits are only for one specific vehicle. Yeah, okay, one gotcha. specific vehicle. I want to make kind of an end end to end integration. I don't want. I feel like if you make something that's universal, you're really making something for nothing. And so, because it just doesn't really fit well, you know, if it's really universal. So, you know, each model that we're going to come out with in the future will be specific. You know, highly specific to that van, or that you know that kit will be highly specific to that van. And so, yeah, getting back to the modular thing, I just kind of, I bought one of these vans, ProMaster City, and I thought, you know, there should be something where people don't have to wait um, six months or 14 months to get their camper van. And then also, you know, really what else is out there in kind of the micro market other than, you know, your your Volkswagen Westphalias or the, your Euro vans. And there is a whole like culture wrapped around that. And they're awesome. I mean, even someday I'd love to own uh, one of those vans, just kind of tinker around with it, but it's not reliable and it's not, it is expensive to own uh, for as old as the vehicle is. Um, safety is not that great in it either. Uh, so 
there wasn't else in the micro market other than having to build one yourself. And, you know, I being a tinkerer, you know, myself and, and spending that time. But I know that there's so many other people out there that just either don't have don't have the time or, you know, they have the ability and then don't have the time or uh, they just they live in apartment complexes. You know, I'm sending a lot of these a lot of these uh, customers that are buying our, our Wayfarer vans. They they live in condominium complexes in the city. Uh, a lot of San Diego, Los Angeles, um, New York, New Hampshire's uh, the last kit that I've sent off. So not having the not having the ability, the tools, uh, it's got to it has to basically show up on your doorstep in a giant box, all preassembled. I give you the I give you the hardware. I email you instructions. We even have instruction videos on our on our website now. And uh, you just kind of you just bolt it all in. Really, if you know how to operate a Phillips head screwdriver and a socket wrench, then you can install everything. And it makes a complete camper van based from a bare cargo van. Um, you bolt all this stuff in. We have basically three three boxes. They're fancier than boxes, but I just call them <laughs> just call them boxes. Um, the bench box, the bed box, and the kitchen box, and they're kind of situated um and, and bolted to the floor um and kind of like this u u shape and then the middle of the bed box flips over it's got a leaf on the top it flips over and makes pretty much a twin size bed in the back of this thing so uh you have all the boxes that kind of make up your living space and then the panels that are kind of the active act as insulation and sound abatement and then also privacy screens for the windows um that is all magnetic and that took the longest time to develop really uh trying to figure out a way where you can create or have insulation in your van without having to glue anything down um and then the last piece of the table so and that just bolts right to the wall and really, it is all modular. You can kind of pick and choose which boxes you want in the van um, for kind of adjusting your trip. You know, if you're going out for a long camping trip or if you're just going for a short, like, mountain bike ride. Um, you know, you can – or if you're just using it for just a cargo van. Like, you know, I use my personal camper van as also the utility vehicle for the company. So I'll pull out all the boxes. And then I'll be throwing equipment and materials and all sorts of things in the cargo van. So you can use it as like a trades vehicle during the day or your work vehicle. And then come Friday afternoon, throw throw the kit in and be camping. That's awesome. I Thinking about the whole van community, and I was, uh, was looking at one of your Instagram posts talking about – it was a picture of a Wayfair, the Wayfair van next to a Travato. And it was the, yeah. the closest the – RV community gets to van life, uh, which is, you know, like we prefer campfires over TVs. Just funny. Because, I mean, because we live very much this uh, nice luxury home on wheels lifestyle in our Winnebago Brave. We love it. Uh, it's great. And, you know, it's we don't the way I see it in part. I know there's some people that do the van life thing full time. Hats off to them. I like having a you know a little right. bit bigger shower and and bathroom and things like that. But sometimes when we're in yep. national parks and things like that, 
I, you know, I'll see people either tent camping or something like that. And, you know, or maybe it's like, there's one moment in particular, actually, the way I think about this, we were in Hot Springs National Park and there were some people tent camping next to us. They brought their car in, you know, got their tent set up and it poured that night. So I get up the next morning, obviously I'm out there, you know, these people probably haven't slept. Their clothes are probably a little wet. I'm like sitting out there with my, with my latte from my espresso maker. And, you know, I know even if it was one, it's probably 100% in my own mind, but, uh, I just felt, felt judgment from being passed from these people. But then I thought about on the flip side, you know, these people, if they have this car and this tent, in all likelihood, they're probably going back to a nice house or apartment. For them, this is their one escape into nature for the weekend. And for me, I kind of live, there's this more black and white. When I'm in this world, I'm doing this. When I'm in this world, I'm doing this. Um, yeah, I guess we're kind of in that middle gray area where it's like all the time I only have six gallons of hot water versus uh, I'm going to go rough it for the weekend and then go back to having unlimited hot water and great Wi-Fi all the time. Do you? But, I mean, what are your perceptions into that whole RV life and van life and, and you know, just the different viewpoints on that community? Because I haven't talked to that many people in the van community. Oh, man. Um, do, do van life people kind of look down on people in RVs because of they, they live in an RV, you think? I I don't <laughs> think so. It's such a total, like, different culture. Um, you know, I, I spent six years in the RV industry um, – what you mentioned was the hospitality brand and we owned and managed, uh, 10, I think it's 12 RV resorts. Now we've acquired uh, a few since. And the RV community is, I, I, you know, I'm on both, I'm on both sides. So, you know, I'm the guy that, you know, hosts the, the big 45 foot motor homes. And I mean, these guys pull in with, huge long motor homes and then another 30 foot long double decker <laughs> trailer with yeah. their Corvette and four Harleys in the trailer. I'm like, this is crazy, you know, and in one aspect, you know, I, I really respected them because, you know, they're traveling around the country, um, and seeing as much as they can. And, you know, like a lot of the audience that you speak to, they run businesses out of their out of their motorhomes or out of their RVs, and so you know they need they need this infrastructure to kind of keep up that uh, their lifestyle, which is 50 amp plug-ins, you know, water, sewer, uh, 110 foot long um, <laughs> concrete pads. You know, we even did like sailing swimming pools and concierge services i mean we really did it up kind of more like uh the hilton marriott of campgrounds i need to hit up some rvc oh campgrounds. man I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up so and there's one in hot springs arkansas which is what you're just talking about oh. and uh that's our flagship property so i play both sides because or i was playing both sides because i was that was my day job you know catering to um, the full timer or just weekend RVer, you know, traveling around and they wanted 45 channels of cable. And then when I had time off, I was going off the grid and, and dirt bagging it in my camper van. <laughs> so, um, I see both kind of worlds there. Um, the, the camper van, we did go to a, I, I went to a van life meetup. Um, in Colorado or in Colorado. And that was really interesting to me. It was um, just 
just I think people just really wanted to live more of a simpler life and not have so much clutter and then go and see see the world and 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 not have to worry about or they're paying off student debt or they're just kind of living their life before I think they're ultimately making maybe a career move um, because some of them were actually running small businesses out of their van. And um, one of them was, she was really cool, it was uh, like a coffee roaster. Mm. Um, I think there's a, she was different, there's another like a Westphalia guy doing that, traveling around the, the country, and he just basically roasts coffee beans, and, and he's like this mobile coffee cafe. It's pretty awesome. So, but where those two communities, I think, come together is that they just want to see see places and see things and um you know whether you have a a shower or not like if you're living in a camper van or if you're living in a winnebago travado um there's a certain level of grit that you have to have to uh live that type of lifestyle you know because like you said you only have six gallons of water so you're taking those army showers where you're you know (laughs) You know, you're soaking your hair and then you turn the water off and then you, you know, soap up and then turn the water back on. You're being super conservative. Um, So, again, where those two worlds meet, you just kind of you just really living the minimalist lifestyle and just kind of maximizing the experiences that you can have while traveling. Yeah, that makes sense. I've done very few of the yeah. army showers. You can actually get longer, longer showers on six gallons of hot water than you think. I think Alyssa and I can both <laughs> take a, you know, maybe five minute, six minute shower on that. Uh, oh, that's- yeah. Anyway, so you were working in RVC. What was, what was the whole starting point with wanting to get Wayfair started? Where did that kind of idea come from? Um, man. Well, it was really it really was just something that I wanted for myself <laughs> selfishly, but that's, you know, I, I feel like that's where a lot of great things kind of start. And that's just the entrepreneurial spirit, right? It's like thinking, I just want something for myself. And there's probably other people that are out there that want the same thing. And like I, you know, like I said before, it's, you know, the research was it's either really expensive, really old, or, um, I had to build it myself. So I'm just like, why, why can't there just be anything really easy and affordable out there? And I think that was just basically the starting point for me. Uh, easy, simple. Um, I'm kind of a no frills guy. Like I, I spend money on, on key things. <laughs> I like expensive mountain bikes or expensive bikes. But everything else is, is pretty much uh, real simple uh, no, no, no stuff going on on the outside of my life. It's, it's, uh, so that's, I feel like that's kind of what I wanted for everybody else. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's not going to have these, these vans are going to have running water or, you know, all this infrastructure for heat and air conditioning. It's basically just put it all in and camp and go. And that's what I wanted for myself. And so I never really put pencil to paper thinking like, you know, wrote out a business plan for this, thinking I can make X amount of money and do this and blah, blah, blah. Um, I just 
started building and then with the idea in mind that, okay, I have to, if I build this once, I'm going to have to build it maybe twice and even maybe, maybe even a dozen times, um, for other people that want it. So that was kind of the only, only, uh, process that I put down, you know, this, this isn't just a one-off thing. I have to duplicate this. So I went through a couple different um, generations of the products and the kits and everything and kind of built out my manufacturing process so that it can be easily produced and quickly because that was the biggest thing to me is that for people, I don't want people waiting six months to get their camper van. I want them waiting maybe a month and then that's it. So the the cost comparison of a Westphalia to the, or sorry, say it again, the Sprinter van that you build well, off of? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a Dodge. It's the Ram Promaster City. So the Ram Promaster City, what is the, the kind of the cost difference between a Westphalia? And, and for those of people who don't know what a Westphalia is, they're uh, can you kind of describe those vans? I mean, I can see them in my head, but how would you describe a Westphalia? There's basically a van, and they usually have like kind of a pop top on the top, so a bed comes up. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So think of uh, just uh, 1970s hippie hanging out in their van. It's that iconic Volkswagen um, that is highly coveted nowadays, um, and they are for. I mean, you can pick up you can pick up one for you know, two grand in a junkyard, but it's going to cost you, you know, 15,000 to get it up and running and probably about two years worth of your life. <laughs> and that's great. There's a lot of people that love tinkering around. There's a whole industry surrounded by, or that is surrounding the Westphalia, um, Volkswagen parts and, and all these kind of refurbishing guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you buy one like brand new, it's or that is has been fully refurbished. Um, I mean, I've even seen those go for upwards of eighty, ninety thousand dollars, depending on the year, make, and model. Um, it's a classic vehicle, and and it'll have the price tag of a classic vehicle if it's been um, refurbished nicely. So, yeah, those Westphalias, um, you can kind of get a beat a beat up one. And travel around the country, and and uh, but the expense of of traveling because it's such an old vehicle may cost you, you know, a thousand to even nine thousand dollars a year in just maintenance bills. And so that's what, like the Promaster City, there were Wayfarer vans based off the Promaster City. It's a brand new vehicle. It's been tested over in Europe for like fifteen years. It was a Fiat. Um, or is a Fiat. And uh, so you can pick one up used now. I'm driving the one right now that has 18,000 miles on it. And um, the guy picked it up, paid sixteen five for the van. And then, you know, a full kit, if it has to be shipped to you, is $5,100. Or if, like, if you want to come by the shop in Colorado Springs, I'll... I'll throw one in, and that'll save you four hundred dollars on shipping, so it'll be four forty seven hundred dollars. So you're really getting into pretty much a brand new camper van for the twenty two to twenty three thousand dollar range. Yeah, if you want to buy it brand new, it's like twenty five thousand for a brand new van. 
And you said that some of the newer Westphalias can go for fifty to eighty thousand. The re the refurbished ones. Oh, the refurbished uh, ones. Yeah, I mean, I think my so my mom actually <laughs> has a Volkswagen Eurovan. Uh, I think it's a '97, and I don't think you can get them past that year. Um, and those are highly coveted too, because you know they have the pop top and they're small, smaller. It's like driving around a big suburban. And what I think, I think when they paid for it, and then between its purchase price and then all of its uh, uh, upgrades, you know, to get it mobile enough to to feel confident to drive it you know, across a few hundred miles, I think they were like forty five, fifty thousand dollars for the thing. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty expensive. You know, you want a camper van because it's easy, it's mobile, you can just throw all your camping gear in it and go and be more kind of off the grid. But you're paying so much money for that, it's like, why don't you just buy an R V, you know, a fifth wheel. I know you can get like thirty five foot long fifth wheels for for thirty five thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars and then your truck to pull it it's like oh you know why don't you know if i'm spending that much money why don't i just get a fifth wheel or something along those lines but it's not um that's kind of where those groups divide between rvers and and those van life is that that's not the lifestyle that they're kind of um aspiring for and so they're willing to pay, you know, more money for for le- for something that's older and and less efficient because they're living kind of a, a different lifestyle where they they camp off the grid and they just want to be kind of deeper in nature. I feel. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we're we're starting to kind of put a pulse on different kinds of vans. I think this year, I don't know if I told you this, I think this year maybe Alyssa is my last uh, loop to do around the U.S. because we're looking at doing uh, around six months in Europe next year and getting a van. Um, yeah. It's not final. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's not finalized, but we're still kind of kicking around that idea. So we're just trying to come to grips with, you know, mentally preparing ourselves, looking at routes and vans and things like that. So anyway, going back to your story, uh, you working at RVC started building these camper van kits out of your garage, tinkering with the format, figuring out the insulation piece and how those were kind of gripping on the sides of the walls, you know, just kind of all the, le- figuring out yeah. how, how to actually build this stuff. So how did you actually take it and start selling this? And, and what was that process like while you were still at RVC? Cause I think when we <laughs> first talked, you said you were working on the design and build out of this thing for like a year and a half, right? Before it was actually finished and ready to sell. Yeah, so a year and a half um, it took me to get to um, last May for when I had really confident about the product, um, its finish. I didn't want it to look like somebody was just hacking it up in their garage. And so, but everything is is professionally made. Um, You know, finding the right vendors, the right partners, and. Yeah, it was like I launched it in May, basically just the website, and and I was still working for RVC. During that time, I was uh, managing five of our properties, and so luckily, you know, luckily I could kind of be at home and work 
Um, so I'd spend a lot of time working with RVC and then just kind of moonlight and, and build stuff in my garage. And then come like September, this, uh, this gentleman called me and he says, Hey, I want a few kits. You know, I'm starting up this rental van company in San Francisco. I said, okay, well, you know, how many is a few? And I'm like three, you know, how many? He goes, well, probably like at least 10 to start, maybe 20 or 50. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like, oh my, you know, so, you know, internally I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to put all that together in my single car garage? Like, but on outwardly, I'm like, yeah, you know, I could do that. And so that's when it got super overwhelming is because after it seemed like it was just kind of snowball effect. Like we're after, um, after he purchased his 12, then I started really attracting, um, other just people that wanted these vans and I couldn't find, I, I knew it's like, I couldn't find my, the commercial space that I needed, um, and deliver these 12 kits to this guy. So I had just had to suck it up and build them all, all out of my garage. And I had to buy or not, uh, rent a storage unit down the street from my house. And I was just basically shuttling, you know, components back and forth from the storage unit to my house and putting this all together. I think my neighbors hate me right now (laughs) because, oh man, all, you know, late in the night and then also early in the morning and, and my one car garage wasn't big enough. So I'd open it up and I'd just, you know, spew out materials out onto the <laughs> front drive. And so once I kind of got those those kits wrapped up, I'm like, you know what, there's really this isn't just a hobby business. And I kind of uh, I wanted it to I felt like I wanted it to take me away from RVC Granted, I loved my job there because I got to, I was just in the RV world. I traveled all over the place, got to kind of see, see and do things, create unique uh, spaces and experiences for, for people that wanted to come stay with us. I love that kind of hospitality um, side of things, but this kind of more, this Wayfair van spoke more to my 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 core you know camping and um being out and off the grid and mountain biking and it was just uh, a more uh oh i don't know how to put it <laughs> it's just more it's just more me is really what it is and so yeah after those 12 kits it's like all right you know there was something here i gave my notice to rvc and then worked with them through the end of the year in the meantime i was you know trying to find commercial space, um, found some and moved into that. And, you know, <laughs> and then now it's like, it's again, it's like a snowball effect as people are calling and, and I'm learning, learning connections within this whole world, you know, meeting and doing a podcast with you and, uh, just kind of gathering momentum and, and getting, uh, people aware of what's available to them out there now you know, something affordable and, and easy. And it's starting to gain some, some traction now. I think, I think it'd be awesome to be able to do the Wayfair model inside of an RV. Have you thought about that? 
Uh, you know, I was just down at the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival. Um, it's kind of the first festival that I've been to, and everybody was saying, you know, do you do this for the for the sprinter vans? And I'm thinking, not right now. You know, I I really like the micro market, but there may be a time where I do, where it's like, yeah, basically you just kind of build out your own RV. I'm not really sure if we'd ever provide the infrastructure, like, you know, here's your electrical equipment, mm -hmm. plug it all in. But I'm not going to say that that's not a possibility. It certainly is interesting to me because, you know, you know, Heath, as a as an RV owner, that, you know, if you, you start kind of tearing into your RV and it's, it's kind of a, you know, a rat's nest. It's not, you know, it's no slight against Winnebago or any other manufacturer, but you know, they're just ripping out those, those, those units <laughs> and it's kind of a nightmare to work on. It almost have to be, like you said, a sprinter van type chassis with just a shell yeah. or yeah. maybe an Airstream, you know, that, that yeah. you can kind of look at it. And I don't know why I, I kind of just go with theirs. I guess because they're older, they can be remodeled and you kind of see them for sale sometimes with more of just a shell and they last a long time versus having to buy something newer, a new trailer and having to rip, like you said, rip stuff around and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. once you, once you started, you got this big order, you left RVC, how have you went about finding new customers for Wayfair vans? I know you said several days a week, you're, you're working out of your RV and I love what you told me you're, that you sit at the bottom of trailheads sometimes and people just come up <laughs> to you and you wrapped wrapped your yeah. car and yeah well i'm not you know man i'm not gonna just sell camper vans i'm gonna live it too so you know there there are certain days of the week if it's a nice day it's like man i want to be outside and i know everybody else wants to be outside and those that can get away from work you know it's colorado's crazy like if it's 70 degrees on a tuesday you know all the trailhead parking lots are going to be slammed um, just because they they're just gonna call it in, phone it in to work, and then go out and play. Cause I want to be outside too, so I'll just throw my mountain bike up on the roof and and head out to some trailhead and park it, and then get my mountain bike ride in. And then as long as I have cell service, I'll catch up on emails and and work on a few things for Wayfair vans. You know, making sure that all the materials ordered and. And it's done, and then just open up the doors, and and people walk by, and they're like, "Oh, what is this? You know, this is the this is super cool. I've never even <laughs> seen this before." And uh, yeah, I've sold I've sold a few vans that way, just just by going out and having fun, <laughs> and that's the way it, it should be, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that is awesome. And it's encouraging for me to hear as, you know, we're trying to get stuff rolling with campground booking and just that yeah. in-person interaction and also to not devalue, like you have a sweet wrap on your van and Alyssa and I are looking yeah. at ordering, like we don't even have our website or anything on our van. When we bought our first RV, we did. We had our big Hourly America logo when we were doing uh, yeah. that project and it was cool. And, you know, a couple of times I, I stepped out of the RV in a random Walmart parking lot or something. And I kind of embarrassed somebody because they were like looking down at their phone, Googling what hourly America was. So <laughs> it works. It's effective because when you see a logo on the side of your RV, you're like, Oh, what is, what is that? Yep. Um, and so we don't even have anything on our rig now or kind of not that we fly under the radar cause our RV is pretty noticeable, but, uh, yeah. we, I think we should definitely get some type of cool looking wrap anyway. Total side tangent, but 
Anyway, so when you went to some of these van life community meetups, you said that you realized that kind of the full-time van community was not your target customer. So most of your target customers are people who are maybe just the weekend road trippers or taking it on yeah. a you know a few day excursion or things like that, right? Yeah, right. I'm not, you know, I like, uh, I go back home and to be completely honest, I go home and I take a shower in my nice hot shower and, and lay in my in my bed. But, you know, I, I spend considerable amount of time in and just, just cause I like the space. I like doing it. <laughs> so I, I'm in my camper van. I mean, I was camping for five days down in Sedona and I was home back for one day. And then now I'm driving across the country or across halfway across the country to Sausalito camping and doing various other things. And so, yeah, the, the van lifers, they just it's a whole different lifestyle. They're, they're living in their van and, uh, it's, it's romantic from the outside, but you know, you speak to any one of them and, and it's a, it's a tough life to do that. And kudos to them. I mean, honestly, it's like I spend five, five days or, or, you know, two weeks in my camper van and it's like, Whew, I don't know if I could live out of it. Granted, they're doing they're they're in a little bit bigger vehicle. You know, mine's just kind of a or Wayfarer vans is just a, a smaller kind of micro van. But yeah, for the folks, I think there's a lot of people that see van life and on Instagram and things like that, and they're like, oh man, I just want to experience that. Like, I don't want to live it. I just want to experience it. Like, there's there's only a few camper van rental companies out there right now and you call them up and you try to make a booking they're like three four months out in advance like you can't get you can't get a reservation with one of their vans and that's just a barometer for what i feel is like you know people want to go out and do that they see this huge van life movement and they're like oh man that looks these beautiful images of you know people's feet hanging out the back end of their van overlooking you know the the sunset over the beach that is super cool and there are moments like that of you know complete bliss hanging out in your camper van and then the rest of it is just kind of you know it's it's navigating around and traveling so the people that that buy wayfarer vans see that and see van life and it's kind of a it's kind of a uh, a low hurdle for them to get into you know they're not having to buy a, a, a sprinter van or a westphalia and wrench on it and they're not waiting super long for their camper van to be built it's like no you know they they flip through van life and maybe they've been thinking about it for a little while they're like you know what i just want like six or seven weekends a year where i can do that and live that it looks really appealing and that's what they do. They just go down to their dealership and pick up a new ProMaster City and and then order their kit online for me. And three weeks later, it shows up at their doorstep. And and then that Friday afternoon, they have their feet hanging out the back door over, overlooking the sunset and, you know, sipping a beer. So <laughs> that's awesome. I, I will say one thing about. Yeah. If you research van life or hashtag van life on Instagram, you will see basically a thousand or a million of those photos of uh, people sitting, you know, in front of the beach. One thing about yep. shooting vans and photos, and I'm no, I'm no photographer by any means, but it's so much easier to get an awesome photo of a van 
in front of a cool place in the shot versus, you know, our 3D three foot motor home with our CRV toad on the back. And, <laughs> um, I mean, we've got some cool photos, but it's had to be in places where there is not a lot of things out there and you really have to be intentional. And maybe that's also because I'm not a photographer, but well, that is one thing about vans that, you know, definitely been able to, to do that. So they're small enough that you can actually get in the shot, but it really is just about the, you know, the experiment, the experience it's, it's the atmosphere or the landscape that you're in and that van has just carried you there. It's not really, you know, it's not about the van. <laughs> it's about traveling and discovering and getting lost and <laughs> having kind of those trials and tribulations. I like to say that you can't have adventure without adversity. And so it's intentionally going out there and, and finding that bit of adversity because that's just that's what's going to make the trip memorable. And, you know, at least as long as you have a comfortable, warm space to sit in and get out of the rain, like you were mentioning, those tent campers, that's the great thing about a van is, is you can travel around with basically your little comfort zone. Love that, Ian. Well, uh, last question for you, man, is what does uh, success look like for you in this lifestyle as you're building that Wayfair and, you know, driving your vans to cool yeah. places? You know, I really like, uh, I'm a fan of Tim Ferriss and he, I think he coined the term lifestyle design and that's really what I'm about. You know, I don't, I get questions about if, you know, how, how big are you going to grow this or what is it going to do? And, and really, you know, I'm in it for the lifestyle. I love this. This is so much fun. Like here I am um, doing a podcast with you and I'm in Ely, Nevada, um, sitting in the van. You can probably hear all the trucks driving by, um, but just traveling around and discovering. And I think it's not really a money pursuit. And, you know, how much can I can I invest in the company and, and what what is the company valued at? It's more about, you know, success to me is, all right, I'll put it, I'll put it this way. I want, I want to have like a Wayfair Vans like meetup group where, you know, say annually or biannually, um, we pick a place somewhere in the country, in, in the United States that is, and, you know, everybody just shows up and just has a good time. And they're all camping in a Wayfair van. You know, that's really important to me is that I'm not, I don't want to sell camper van kits. I just want to sell you the ability to go out there and, and see and do those things. I love to travel and I just really want to share that with other people. And I love to kind of experience the little niche things in life. And, you know, if I can give you again, your little comfort zone to travel around in and, so that you at least have some some place that you can retreat to in case it gets crazy, then great. You know, as long as you're getting out there and traveling and and I just want to make that easy for you and and really kind of break down that barrier. So that's kind of how I define success. I love it, man. Well, where can people learn more about you, Ian, and connect with you? Yeah, well, so you can go to wayfarevans.com. Just kind of poke around there and and. Uh, see what we're all about. Uh, you can email me just at info at wayfarevans.com 
Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook, of course, and Instagram, and we're starting to kind of heat up our YouTube channel too. You know, well, there's installation videos there. You can see how easy it is to actually install a kit. Uh, also, there's uh, we're posting up just kind of micro adventures, so you get to see. It's like, what does a weekend really look like in a Wayfair van? So, yeah, just kind of those mediums there is a great way to reach out. Awesome, Ian. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Heath. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to our website at heathandalyssa.com and go to podcasts. Thank you all again for tuning in. I love hearing from y'all in iTunes or Stitcher. If you haven't left a review for the show, we are at 150 reviews on the dot at the time that I'm recording this. So I would love to hear from you. Uh, It just takes two seconds. You don't have to leave any text if you don't want to. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher and click on five stars. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.